listening to Real Talk on RCR, Reality Check Radio. Here on Reality Check Radio, it's Real Talk with Rodney Hyde. And uh, how often do we get to say this? Chalk up a win for the good guys. Free speech union. Oh, my gosh. What a win. What an achievement. To tell us all about it, we're joined by the chief executive of the Free Speech Union. He's familiar to longtime listeners. Jonathan Ayling. Good morning, Jonathan. Good morning, Rodney. Well done. Extremely well done. Good for you. Now, tell me, for listeners that don't know, tell us who Momo St. John is and tell us what happened to her when stuff came after her. Well, the whole point of the Momo St. John saga is that uh, we're not going to say who she was. Uh, an anonymous Twitter Sorry. account has existed. <laughs> I didn't mean that. You know what I no, mean? No, no, of course. Yeah, absolutely. So, so an anonymous uh, Twitter account has existed for some years now, uh, operated by um, an individual providing their perspectives on on uh, hot takes of politics and culture. And uh, and you know what? That's one of the great uh, joys of, of social media for all the ills that it may introduce into our society. There's also the question of it um, enabling everyday citizens to use their voice to advocate uh, for the perspectives and beliefs that they hold. And so uh, this is an individual who uh, identified as a medical health practitioner somewhere in the country. And uh, several weeks back, uh, somehow, uh, the identity of this uh, of this Twitter account was was discovered, and it turned out it was a very senior medical individual in the country and uh, a journalist at the press, which is the Christchurch newspaper owned by staff, uh, got hold of this information and contacted this senior medical practitioner and said, "Look, we've review- reviewed your Twitter account." Um, we think your content is homophobic, uh, transphobic and racist. And uh, we, our question really is, how can you hold the position you do uh, while holding these views? Doesn't it make Maori and trans people unsafe to be under your care because you're such a bigoted person, essentially, was the inference. And uh, she said, you've got till 5 p.m. to come back to me. Uh, otherwise, we're going to expose who you are and how terrible your views are. And this is really uh, this is really just a question of groupthink gone wrong. Uh, this is, these are bullies coming after those who are voicing opinions that, uh, that dissent from what is mainstream orthodoxy. And, uh, and so really the, the, the question at hand was, do we still live in a society where you're allowed to have a professional job and disagree? And, and, and have a variety of opinion. We talk about diversity so much, but di- does diversity of opinion mean anything anymore? And so uh, before long, uh, we, we got called in. Just, uh, just, this- uh, just to stop there, Jonathan, I'm sorry to do this to you, but her she the questions contained the allegation. So she was guilty by the question. That That's was right. like It wasn't like... Um, do you think you're a little bit racist? It was your racist. How do you think people feel? And <laughs> she was racist because she disagreed with racism. That is to say, she disagreed with, uh, as I understand it, she disagreed with uh, priority be giving to people on waiting lists because of their race. Uh, she disagreed with uh, co-governance, uh, which is to distinguish people by race and give one race advantages over the other. And she was labelled transphobic and a threat to transgender people because she think she thinks a woman is a 
a woman and a man is a man as biologically defined. So her views were what overwhelmingly most people think, but more particularly overwhelmingly what people have thought since the beginning of the human race. Well, that's right. Now, uh, I, I think we also need to keep in mind the response that her employer provided here. And you're absolutely right, Rodney. This was the age old. So when did you stop beating your wife type question that, yes. that just soon makes makes a horrible assertions from the outset? That's not really what's up for debate. The debate is how serious and bigot are you? And so uh, the journalist in question approached uh, Te Whatu Ora. Uh, the the um, the health ministry and and uh, said, what is your comment of a senior health practitioner of this name uh, holding these views and operating in the role that they do? And really, the issue that the Free Speech Union has uh, in this whole saga is how Te Whatu Ora responded. We're not actually that surprised with the way the media carried themselves. I don't think you you were surprised to hear that there was groupthink and and um, a, considerable lack of intellectual diversity uh, present in our mainstream media. What was really disappointing was the way Te Whatu Ora responded to this. And, and they initiated an employment review to, to look into uh, uh, the comments that were being made. And, and there was no, I mean, again, this was an, an anonymous account. There was obviously no association between who this person was and their employer. Uh, this didn't reflect on Te Whatu Ora at all. What on earth does the Ministry of Health think it has to do with initiating an employment review of this person's opinions and perspectives. It's just uh, simply not acceptable. And so that's really where we've started to put the pressure. And, and we, I was gobsmacked, Rodney. I've, I've worked in a, in a minister's office. I've, I've worked, uh, you know, in, in the beehive. And, and the fact that this media request went all the way up to the Minister of Health's office to go, how do we respond to this? How do we deal with the pressure that's coming from the media? It's just creating a storm in a teacup. And this is exactly what uh, I think happens with so many comms uh, managers and comms uh, practitioners nowadays. We all try, they're, they're so risk averse. They can't just, the response to Fatu Order should have given was, this is an anonymous Twitter account allegedly associated with one of our employees. We have no comment because this, in, this individual has the right to make claims and the statements that they wish. Jog on. And I think if that had been the response, there would no, have been no story here. But it was the pearl clutching and, and the, the 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 fretting over, oh, well, how is this going to look in a, in a journalist article that really empowered the journalists to then drum up a witch hunt against those that are daring to voice dissenting opinions. And so really that is that is where we need to continue to hold our pressure, to, to keep uh, employers accountable for the way that they treat employees and remind them that they do not have to agree with their employees. There does not have to be consensus on these issues in order for employees to be able to work in employees' uh, premises, especially when it's the public service. And strangely, um, her manager followed her on Twitter. <laughs> I, I I wasn't aware of that. That that that's ironic. Yes, presumed because he was enjoy or she was enjoying it. You know what I mean? I mean, it's the whole thing is. So let's just recap to where we are. A senior person in the health system is tweeting up a storm, um, and debating with people <clears throat> and learning. You know that she's having a communication. She sadly has to keep herself anonymous because that's how it works these days. Um, along the way, she expresses a view that 
rationing <coughs> according to race is wrong, separating people by race is wrong, uh, which is standard Western philosophy. And then she also accepts um, that a woman is a woman and a man is a man in general, which again is standard standard view of mankind since the year dot. Because of this, some journalists learns of this, attacks her for being a racist and a transphobe, then launches into her ministry where she's employed to say, what's your response to having this dreadful person who's a racist and a transphobe working for you? And how do you think that reflects on your patients? Such is the sensitivity that gets elevated to the minister's response to the minister. Uh, um, and the ministry starts an inquiry into this uh, employee, all on the basis of these anonymous tweets. It's unbelievable, is it not? I would have thought so. Absolutely. This is this is not how a free society is supposed to operate, where individuals are allowed to operate according to their freedom of conscience, freedom of belief, and freedom of speech. And it, no. it, it's just drumming that sa- banging that same drum of of everyone getting in line and thinking the same way. And 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 it's not good for our society. Now I want to blow your trumpet more than you possibly could because of your uh, humility. But this uh, senior official, senior person, went off to media experts, went off to King's councils to get advice, and it was all basically fall on your sword. Unfortunately, and, that is the advice that so many in these situations are giving. If if you um, express enough mea culpas and self-flagellate and fall at the mercy of your persecutors, then perhaps they'll they'll not uh, become as aggressive as they otherwise would have. And we said nonsense. No, I want to come to the yet. free speech union. I want to I want to I want to praise you more than you're doing. So just <laughs> bear with me. So that was their advice, and of course. That's sensible advice if you're utterly on your own. Because on your own, all your friends, all your family, all your colleagues might be 100% in support of you. But if the media are out there labeling you a racist and a transphobe to the wider public, that's what you are. It then becomes an issue for the ministry. It then becomes an issue for the minister. And this person is on a hiding to nothing, trying to plead their innocence when they're being pummeled in the public square. They're being flogged in the public square by the media. However, this is where you come in and the free speech union, because this person did not know of the free speech union, but contact was made and suddenly He or she is not alone. This is the point of a union. Suddenly, and and think about this, ladies and gentlemen, and and dear listeners, because on her own, or on his own, this person was dead. I would believe they would lose their job and be stressed stressed that you'd you'd want to leave the country or goodness knows because the stress this puts you under because to be labeled racist and transphobic and hateful is a terrible thing in the public space terrible and they know this but this person when approached by the free speech union suddenly isn't alone she's got 
Well, he's got a group in their corner. It's extraordinary what happened next, Jonathan, and I commend you and, and to Stephen Franks. Tell me what you did. Thank you, Rodney. That, that really means a lot because really all things considered, we're not, we're not uh, especially clever. We're not uh, especially insightful uh, in comparison to anyone else. But, but what BFG Union has been able to do is build together a coalition of everyday Kiwis who do not agree on anything else aside from the fact that uh, enforcing groupthink and silencing intellectual diversity robs us all. And so you're absolutely right. Our response relied on the thousands of Kiwis who took up our call. And uh, what we said was, it, in essence, what Jody uh, O'Callaghan, the, the, the press journalist in question, was doing was going to publicly out someone that was going to shame them into uh, rescinding their position. And we said, well, the, the, the role of the press, the role of the fourth estate is to create um, more understanding and to uh, to deliver facts and but let other people decide. And that is not how this this journalist was operating. And, and media operate with such privilege. They have so many legal and social privileges that we expect them to operate with fairness and integrity. And that was not happening here. So we called on our members to contact the journalist in question, to contact her editor and say, who wins out of our team a, an anonymous account that, that expresses opinions that you don't agree with? How does this serve the public interest at all? Is this really what media and journalism has become? Is this really what the role of the fourth estate here is, to, to, uh, to shame dissenters into silence? And thousands of Kiwis contacted this journalist, contacted her editor, and said, really, shame on you for trying to bully this uh, this medical practitioner into not expressing views that you disapprove of. And, uh, and you know what? I'll, I'll accept it, Rodney. It was quite a gratifying response. Within within a very short period of time, we had um, we had stuff back down. Uh, they said, well, look, we, we, won't, we won't run this story, but you need to call off the dogs. And we said, well, look, um, to be honest, we're not sure we can do that. These are people expressing their disapproval. And uh, I've had quite a few of our supporters contact me since and say, you know what, that was the day I cancelled my subscription with stuff. And um, you know what, we would rather not use uh, tactics that um, that require en masse um, uh, responses to, to to really put pressure on these people. We would much rather if these conversations were reasonable, were ration based, where we were where we were looking at at the role of these different institutions and considering what creates a good society. But in the absence of their willingness to actually engage in these conversations, we'll say, well, you know what? If you're going to play by the tactics of bullying people into silence, we will use our speech as well to call you out for failing to uh, adhere to the responsibilities as journalists that you have. And so uh, we, were, we were very thankful to the thousands of Kiwis who picked up our call. Indeed. And I think it made a bit of an impression down at the stuff room in Christchurch. I think they said, hang on a second. We don't usually get a backlash like this. We don't usually get people engaged in the way we're writing and what we're writing about and how we're calling people out. So I hope it left an impression in terms of what it is that the media should be spending its time doing. And it's not calling out dissenters and publicly shaming them. Now, I'm not a um, lily-livered um, nerd or anything, but I have to tell you, I was quite shocked by your call. It came from my former colleague, Stephen Franks, who I greatly admire. 
And I got this email to reply to stuff. And I thought, oh my goodness, this is next level, right? Because I'm being asked to join a pylon on this journalist whose behavior I absolutely deplore and despise, and the stuff editor whose likewise behavior I deplore and despise for all the reasons you've outlined. But it's next level to sort of deal to a bully by the bully, right? I understand it, but it caused me pause for thought, Jonathan. Did it cause a debate at your in your hierarchy about the tactic, or was it, no, this is what we do? No, absolutely it did. And look, Rodney, I'm really glad that it caused you pause for thought. I'm glad that this wasn't an obvious next step that you embraced straight away because we need to be reserved in the way that we seek to use this pressure to, to it could turn into bullying of its own kind. And that and suppression. A step and suppression. That's, that's right. And the freedom of the press is absolutely crucial to a well-functioning democracy. So, so we absolutely keep that in mind. What we're saying, though, is it would be better if we could all resort to good faith debate and, and, a, and a clear understanding of the fact that the role of the media is to provide fact, to provide insight, and let others make up their mind. But if, if you, what we're saying is if you're going to use your privileged platform and the, and, the, and the incredible privileges that the media have in the law and in our society to, to call out intellectual diversity, well, we, we're not going to take that line down. We will push back. And and we you know we weren't doxing this woman per se. We had her personal phone number. If we wanted to release that to our people and say give her a call, we could have done that, but we didn't. We called on our people to respectfully remind her of her duties as a journalist to provide more insights, not to silence people. And uh, and I think there is a way to characterize our actions as opposing the fourth estate. I don't think that's correct at all. What we were doing was reminding journalists what the function of the fourth estate truly is, what the role of journalism, the incredibly incredibly important role that they have, uh, how that is supposed to serve our society, not uh, constrain our society and silence those that are speaking within it. And so um, this, this is not the first uh, tool that we want to reach to. We would much wow. rather have good faith conversations uh, that that are, that are that are respectful, but we will not take it lying down. And as a grassroots organisation, we will also use the power of, of of everyday people to stand up and push back if we have to. And and you use the word um, pushing back against the bully, Rodney. Um, I think that's exactly what it is. What I come to believe more and more in the role that we perform. And this is especially true as I go into meetings fairly regularly with employers, where employees have asked me to join them to help stand up for their speech rights. These are bullies. And and I think we know from, from primary school, what happens when you're a bully? If you lie down and you, you let them take your lunch money, you just embolden them. But if you push back, and you, and, and you say that's not on, often they just fall over. And, and what I think has really emboldened so much of the sensorial nature of our conversation nowadays is the fact that people haven't stood up and said no. And that's what we're trying to do. Is, as you've said, to do that by yourself is an incredibly difficult thing. But if we can rally together 
100,000 Kiwis who will say, no, we agree on nothing else but the fact that we need to be allowed to speak what is true in our own minds and hearts, then together we are much stronger. And that's why the Free Speech Union has not lost an employment case yet. We, have, we haven't we have gone up to bat for an employee or, or you know, a, a, an advocacy case like this and, and not succeeded in preserving their right to speak because this is a freedom that Kiwis still do truly care about. But we feel more and more isolated against a small group of people who want to make us feel like we are unable to push back. But we can, and that's what I think the Free Speech Union is able to do. Well, good for you. Now, the peculiar thing about this is is that here we have a media that is typically left-leaning and typically was in favour of our freedoms and horrified, for example, in the 50s and 60s, any attempt to out a public figure for, say, being homosexual. But what we have here now is the same media outing people for their political views who are private citizens attempting to get their professional career destroyed and actually oftentimes succeeding because their political views disagree with that of stuff and their journalists. That's all this is. And that the political views of stuff and this journalist, in this instance at least, are the fringe views. I mean, this is extraordinary. Now tell me, have you had any sense or any response from stuff that they're going to tie ho and take it a bit careful next time or is this oh well we lost that one but here we are doing it all over again look i don't think we've um succeeded in achieving any sort of structural change but at the very least they have a moment where we gave them a bloody nose and i think that will you know what we've found uh, rodney is at um in ministers offices and and, in council meetings we hear more and more of people going but hang on a second what is the free speech you're going to say about and Isn't I, I'm quite gratified by that. Not because I have any desire for, uh, for public officials or for media or for councillors to live in fear of just yet another interest group um, coming after them. That's not what I'm after at all. What I want them to do is reflect on the basic freedoms that Kiwis have and the fact that there are advocates for those freedoms out there. And this is something I, I really want to encourage your listeners to remember again. The government does not give us our freedoms. The government is there to ensure our freedoms. They are there to protect our freedoms. But we possess the right to free speech. We possess possess the right to freedom of conscience and freedom of belief because they are innate human rights. They are not given to us by the political structure that oversees us. It's not We don't have them simply because of the Bill of Rights Act. The Bill of Rights Act recognises what is innately our freedom and our liberty. And I think we get into real trouble as we orientate our minds and our society more and more towards dependency on the state. We start to think that it's the government that gives us this right to speak. And if the government wants, it can take it away. Nonsense. No legitimate government can infringe on the basic human rights of its citizens and the foundational human rights 
of every liberal democratic society is the freedom to speak openly. And so I'm thrilled that uh, we're having an impact where whether because we've convinced them, and that is the case for some, but probably for more, we've just given them a blood nose and reminded them that they need to take care, that they are going, hang on a second, what's the free speech angle here? And uh, and if that means that there are fewer people that lose their jobs or fewer people that have a witch hunt come after them for thinking independently, I'm a happy man. You're like Winston Churchill after the Battle of Alamar. You know, it's um, the battle was won, the war was still to fight. And uh, but extremely well done. I'd just like to ask you this is, I didn't cover this, but do you sense in this whole debate there has been a tilt, a big tilt in questioning about this following the terror attack on Israel? And I ask this in this respect that the same people that have been telling us that we can't have free speech, who have been saying that's an aggression, that's genocidal, just mis mispronouncing a pronoun, uh, misgendering someone, this is the worst thing that's happened uh, ever in the history of the world, have stood by and said nothing about what has happened to Israel. Well, a, a, a couple worse, of comments there. Have said, attempted to justify it, and it seems to be the same group. Yes, exactly. And 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 I guess a few thoughts emerged there. First of all, I've never been compared to Winston Churchill before, and I'm quite gratified by that. So, you so are. Thank you. You're well, my Winston I, Churchill. I, I, I'm I'm going to carry that with me for the rest of the day. Uh, and another another thought is, I think you're absolutely right that this, you know, um, in terms of, I, I spend a lot of time thinking about. How do we form culture? How do we change culture? Because we want to be effective and impactful in the work we're doing. And they often say that culture changes slowly until it changes very quickly. And often the work of cultural change is very progressive. It's incremental until all of a sudden you hit a tipping point and, and, and then it feels like all of a sudden things are shifting. And I think that's what we've experienced over the past three or five years is that for the past 40 years, we've been slowly chipping away at some of the core values and beliefs that our society has been founded on. And then all of a sudden in three or five years, a few big events happened and we've felt like, there's been this major shift occur. And so that's why I think people are more aware of the stakes and, and what's at play than they have been previously. I don't necessarily get a sense that we are turning the tide yet, but I do get the sense that more and more Kiwis are becoming aware of the conflict that's at hand. And that's what's needed in order to start pushing back and to turn the tide. I think the point that you make in terms of the, the conflict that is going on in the Middle East right now is incredibly important, Rodney. The, the people who for years have told us that speech is violence now have nothing to say when violence is actually violence. And that is the great perversion and the great irony of our would-be senses. Censorship is necessarily a violent position to take. And today, it might only look like a grandma being punched in the face at Albert Park or something similar, some scuffles uh, on the streets. But before long, the fact that you are not allowed to speak freely, and we will stop you if you try, before long, that can't help but turn far more violent. And that is because 
free speech is not, you know, incitement to violence and violence is not simply a a bridge too far for free speech. It is the opposite of free speech. Free speech is necessarily an anti-violent position because it says instead of with brute force and ignorance, we push ourselves on each other. Free speech insists that through dialogue and reason and exchange, perhaps sometimes bitter, cantankerous exchange, but nonetheless through words, we try and advance our positions. And so, um, absolutely, I think there are a lot of people who are opponents of the free speech union who over the past couple of weeks should be very glad that we have existed because there has been an incredible amount of what would have been considered hate speech, even even what has bordered on incitement to violence, and we try and hold a very high standard for incitement to violence. Perhaps some of your listeners say our standard for incitement to violence is too high. I would say that uh, Kiwis should be allowed to speak in favour of the Hamas terrorist attacks. I have no problem whatsoever absolutely condemning them from my perspective. But they should be able to say that is a good thing. That is Well, not it's helpful, isn't it? It's helpful to hear it. That's exactly right. It shows who the true bigots and, the, and, and who the, the truly violent and vile are in our society. It shows us who we need to be watching and be careful of. That's right. And so we hold a very high standard for these things. And it is the very people who over the past three years have been saying we need stronger legislative responses to, quote, harmful speech, who would have been the first to fall afoul of them, I am certain, if uh, if they had been in place during this time. But I don't think that's a good thing. Silencing these people through the law would do nothing to address the horrific opinions that they hold. And no. so that's why we need to continue to allow them to speak and to use our counter-speak to challenge them. Absolutely, Jonathan. Well, well said. Well, here you go, listeners. What a wonderful win for all of New Zealand, uh, undertaken by Jonathan and the team, with the support of tens of thousands of New Zealanders. If you care about freedom, if you care about your rights, well, the first right, you realise, is to speak, to challenge, to argue. And that is under assault like in no time in our history. And standing between us and those that would shut us down is a group, the Free Speech Union. The beautiful thing about the Free Speech Union, as Jonathan explains, doesn't matter your political view. If you favour free speech, if you're prepared to just lean slightly in favour of free speech, then go to the Free Speech Union fsu.nz. I think I'm right in that, Jonathan. That's correct, yes. And subscribe, join up, donate, help. Because in terms of all the battles that we have, if our speech is no longer free, if we feel in any way encumbered because of our work or obligations for speaking our mind, then we are losing. So thank you, Jonathan. Thank you for all the work that you do. Thank you for the Free Speech Union. Thank you for standing up for Momo St. John. Thank you for being our Winston Churchill at the Battle of Alaman and doing the start of turning the tide. It was an extraordinary achievement. And I salute you. I salute Stephen Franks. Um, I salute the person at the center of this. Because, my goodness, what a dreadful thing to have happen. And we know this is happening up and down the country. And so many of us now 
don't feel free to speak. Well, we've got the Free Speech Union. Thank you so much for joining us, Jonathan. That was Jonathan Ayling. You're on Real Talk with Rodney Hyde. The Free Speech Union, here is an organization. You often join organizations just because you agree with them and you want to support them, but actually they don't chalk up too many wins because um, it's hard. It's extremely hard. It's easy just to talk about things and have meetings about things and about complain things. The Free Speech Union is an organization that stands up for something very fin- from fundamental to us all. But not only that, they're having win after win after win. And without doubt, it's because of the caliber of Jonathan and his team. Extraordinary people have come together from all walks of life across the political divide to defend our fundamental right. Please sign up, join, subscribe, follow, help. We need it. Thank you for listening. You're on Real Talk with Rodney Hyde on RadleyCheck.radio. Remember, you can text me at 2057, email me inbox at RadleyCheck.radio. You're listening to Real Talk on RCR, Reality Check Radio.